0: Found financial food for thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, and I'm president of the estate planning team. And the estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And over those decades, we certainly have talked about how scary October can be. Scariest month of the year. So when we're doing these Shows during the month of October, we always bring up the idea: what scares you, and talk about what scares me. So, what scares you? A lot of things, possibly. (laughs) And when we're talking about the financial side of it, there's certain a lot of scary things out there. You know, the 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 headline shock risk. You know, the we still are dealing with the Rona and and the health issues and the scariness around that, as well as the the virus's financial hit and and how and and how that's changing our world probably forever the vaccines you know are you are you scared to get the vaccine are you scared if you don't get the vaccine inflation you know is everyone worried about biden's stagflation party and and you know is that going to ruin your retirement plan are you scared of witches and devils I'll tell you, one thing that was scary was that uh, CNN, you know, Alison Cooper and, and President Biden, the town hall there. I mean, ...about Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema. You seem relatively confident you can kind of get Senator Manchin on board. The, there's a lot of Democrats in the House and Senate who are confused about where Senator Cinema Senator actually stands on things. Yeah, this. so am I. And I know she's been negotiating directly with you and the White House. What is your read on her? And I obviously... You need her uh, to remain positive in your direction, so I don't know what you're <laughs> going to say, but what is your read on, on her? Do, do you know where she stands? First of all, she's smart as a devil, number oh. One. oh, well, that's an interesting comment. She's smart as a devil. Is, is that, is that a, is, is he going back to something? Else? Two, she's very supportive of the environmental agenda in my legislation. Very supportive. She's supportive of all, of almost all the things I mentioned relating to everything from family care to all to all those issues. Where she's not supportive is she says she will not raise a single penny in taxes on the corporate side and/or on wealthy people. Well, that does not make a lot of the progressive Democrats very happy with the Arizona senator. And I mentioned the idea of witchy scared of witches and do you all remember that Kristen cinema was it was back in like october of 2018 there was articles and i saved them i mean this was an article out of the observer and this is the headline real life witch hunt reveals arizona congresswoman practice feminist witchcraft okay here's another this is another headline From October of 2018, Arizona Democrat Senate nominee associated with witchcraft. So was Biden kind of giving her some shade, you know, saying, hey, you know, you know, now he didn't call her a witch. He he called her smart as a devil. And and maybe that's just President Biden's. You know, he's used that term before. I I remember, I think most recently in one of his speeches, very few of them these days. But one of them was I think he said they they're working as hard as the devil. Um, but yeah, but, but so if you don't remember the story about the witchcraft, all right, so here's some of the lines from the, the, these articles. Uh, Representative Kristen Cinema, a Democratic Senate nominee out in Arizona, once summoned a group of feminist witches called the Pagan Cluster to protest the Iraq invasion and celebrate International Women's Day. Okay an anti-war organizer staging a protest in 2003, Cinema encouraged the sorceresses to don colorful clothing and come ready to dance, twirl, and stay in touch with your inner creativity and with the earth. Hmm. Pagan Clusters website claims the organization has roots in the reclaiming tradition of feminist witchcraft and incorporates music, drums, ritual, myth, humor, and magic into its political outreach. Members practice nonviolent witchcraft while participating in direct democracy, so she's certainly giving the Democrats problems and i've also always said on this show for years you know when it comes to tax law and who really has power yeah it's not really the president now the the president certainly has a lot of Power in the sense that he has got the veto pen, which, by the way, is very powerful. So he can block any new tax legislation on his own or her own, depending on who's sitting in the White House. But what the president does not have power to do is enact their own new tax laws. Um, And, you know, they they really now they're the power of the purse is more in the Congress and specifically more in the Senate. So I've been saying more, most recently is that really Joe Manchin has got more power to d- dictate what tax law changes get happen in this infrastructure, this budget resolution bill. Assuming they get it done, you know, we'll see if the other, you know, Wicked Witch of the West, you know, Pelosi's Halloween deadline, if that, you know, happens or not. There's, you know, she's still hoping they can get this done by Halloween. That's coming up fast. Um, but back to Mansion, thou he said, yeah, actually he's got more power right now than President Biden in you know dictating what tax law changes get passed with that slim majority of fifty seats in the Senate, and with Kamala being the tiebreaker. Now President Biden in that town hall also k- kind of I think it was in a town hall, maybe it was another speech he did during the week, but he he pretty much said the same thing to all Americans. You know, he made a comment that, you know, with 50 seats in the Senate, every one of them is a president, Um, meaning the fact that actually they have got, you know, they keep asking Joe Biden, why aren't you know, what are you doing to get these progressive tax laws passed or which ones are going to get passed? Let us know. Give us a clue here. What's changing and or or how quickly are we going to get this done? And so we can start, you know, rebuilding back better. Right. And and he and he's kind of admitting, you know, it's really not up to me. You know, it's, it's really up to those senators. So now we've got Joe Manchin, who's always been that way. In other words, a, a very moderate Democrat. And now we've got Kristen Sinema, who is also turning out to be a, a problem for the progressive Democrats. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. All right. So you're listening to my name is Mark Dolly, and this is Financial Food for Thought. And it's brought to you by the estate planning team. And if you would like to get a hold of us, um, you can, you know, we are a registered fiduciary planning firm. We've been operating, helping Cleveland families for over 35 years. Um, you can find out more information about us. You can go online, you know, or visit our website. It's financialfoodforthought.com. Just one string, lowercase letters, financialfoodforthought.com. You can find financial articles on there, calculators. You can also link to our radio show podcast. So, you know, we do this show every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Um, we're actually, ta- we tape it on Friday morning, so you're hearing a, a, a taped version. And But you can, if that's inconvenient, you can always go back and go to the website and link on to the the. Prior shows, are webcast or our podcast, and you can go and, and listen to the the back shows. You can also sign up for a free, no obligation consultation, and we are doing those in person or at you know on the phone, depending on what you're most comfortable with. Um, you know, we can accommodate early morning, you know, pre work hours. We can accommodate early evening, you know, after work hours if you're still working. And if you would like any of that, or if you'd just like to call and and sign up for a free consultation, our home phone number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Just call, leave a message, and somebody will get back to you on Monday. So what else scares you? This year, um, ah, there's just so many things, right? Well, last week, I talked a little bit about the President Biden's $600 Snoop Dogg proposal, right? And we, we heard a lot of people getting upset about that, that, you know, why is, you know, why are they going after the everybody's bank accounts to get information and what was raising so much concern is that they put such a low threshold on it $600 and people are saying well that's going to be everyone in America so really the the, the president biden the government or you know and and the irs they're they're going to weaponize the IRS. You know, in other words, they're going to get all this data and they'll be snooping on us. They, they, they want to know what we're put, you know, where our money is going and what goods are we buying or who, what political campaigns are. And I, and I don't know if that's really what they're doing. You know, of course, they're saying they're just trying to define the check, the tax cheats. You know, that all this money that they claim is not being paid by, uh, you know, honest taxpayers. And and try to, you know, what they've been doing in the past has not been good enough to capture or to thwart the tax cheats. So this would just be more ammunition for the IRS to do their job, which is to make sure that everybody's paying their fair share. And I pay my fair share of taxes. I want my neighbor to do as well. Um, So so but I also said, you know, I don't I didn't really get where the six hundred dollars came from. Um, and sure enough, they are now backpedaling on that and it's not going to, you know, and I don't even know if it's going to happen. I think this is, a, I, whether this makes the final version of the infrastructure, the soft infrastructure plan, I don't know. It's not very popular. I don't think they've explained it very well or what they're trying to do. And I think the, the banks really had, you know, had a big political, uh, you know, said, well, really this is, this is a privacy issue and you know, they're using banks to watchdog the Americans and, and their customers, and they didn't like it, and they said it's overburdensome, and you know, why $600? Was that really going to, you know, it goes on and on. And, and I think now that they're clarifying or backpelling on the $600, still, though, I don't think that the average American's going to really understand what they're trying to do. So here is the latest. Instead, the administration and the Senate Democrats are proposing to raise the threshold to accounts with more than 10,000 in annual transactions and any income received through a paycheck from which federal taxes are automatically deducted will not be subject to the reporting recipients of federal benefits like unemployment and Social Security would also be exempt. The IRS would collect the total sum of deposits and withdrawals from bank accounts with more than $10,000 in non-payroll income. Information on individual transactions would not be cla- I don't know if we really get it. Um, now, I, I guess what they're really trying to say is, um, you know, the fact sheet that goes along with this new idea was to say, you know, imagine a taxpayer who reports $10,000 of income, but has $10 million of flows in and out of their bank account. Having this summer information will help flag for the IRS when high-income people under-report their income and under-repay their tax obligations. This will help the IRS target its enforcement activities on those who are actually evading their tax obligations, uh, decreasing costly and burdensome audits for the vast majority of taxpayers who pay what they owe. Um, So now Ron Wyden, who is uh, the uh, Senate Finance Committee chairman, very powerful man, uh, he's really spearheaded the effort to keep this proposal going. Um, And he says, you know, the bottom line is wealthy tax cheats are ripping off the American people to the tunes of billions and billions of dollars per year. Tax cheats thrive when the reporting rules that apply to them are loose and murky. Democrats want to fix this broken approach and crack down on the cheating at the top. So who do you believe? Is it really that is what it's about, trying to crack down on tax sheets, or is it really about the government wants to snoop in your pocketbooks? I guess we'll see who who comes out on top of that, and we'll see if that makes it in the plan or not. Um, I know another thing that's... Clearly, uh, nothing that's scaring a lot of people, and that's the inflation. And we've been talking about inflation for a long, long time on this show. If you go back and listen to the previous podcast, you'll hear all the shows that we've been talking about inflation. And what's really scary is. The, 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 when people are throwing out the words stagflation. Okay. Um, because stagflation is really a problem for the economy. And what is stagflation? Well, you know, stagflation is basically when you have high inflation... And we could certainly make a case today that we have high inflation. But you also have high unemployment, or the unemployment rate remains high. All right. But there's a third leg. And the third leg is that at the same time that those two things are happening, the economic growth rate is slowing. All right. So you have high inflation, high unemployment. And a slowing economy. And that's kind of what happened in the 70s. And that is, again, very bad news if that happens. So there's a lot of people concerned that that is what's happening. And whether or not that, do you need to be concerned about that? Are are you concerned about that? What are you doing about it? you know are you just staying home and complaining about it are you are you are you canceling your riverboat cruise because you're saying I won't be able to afford my utility bills this winter are you putting off your planned retirement date because you're saying with the cost of inflation eating into my savings if I'm retired, I've got to stay working. And certainly there's a lot of shock headlines out there who a lot of so-called experts would lead you to believe that, yeah, this is a very serious problem. And also, though, there's just as many of those naysayers out there you could find just as many other professionals or experts who say, no, this inflation is really transitory. It's not permanent. It's it's still a reflection of the shutdown Rona economy and the supply chain hiccups, which is a lot more than hiccups, but you know what I'm talking about, that eventually will get worked out and we'll get back to... Life before the Rona. You know, can we just go back to our future, so to speak? Well, so here's Paul Tudor Jones, who is a billionaire hedge fund manager. And and he really claimed the fame is supposedly he predicted the stock market crash in 1987. By the way, what month did it happen in? Oh, yeah. October, the scariest month. If you recall at that point, you know, the the the, the Black Monday, uh October nineteenth of '87, right, the the Dow Jones was down what greater than twenty-two percent in one day. Huh. Talk about parabolic moves. Um now, so he he is one saying that, yeah, inflation is the single biggest threat to markets and society and in, in, in basically in general. So he's really raising the the worry flag. And in an interview on CNBC, he said he feared the Fed was employing what may be the most inappropriate monetary policy of his lifetime. Um, And that now the problem is that high inflation is likely to remain stubborn and potentially much worse than what we feared. Or, you know, a lot of people are saying that, too, is that the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, President Biden, and certainly you know, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has all, have all misled us to say that this inflation is transitory. Um, Jones also said that what the, also what's adding to this is, you know, the three and a half trillion um, is, you know, what what the stimulus money and everything else is, is great, is normally, you know, a lot of that, like the stimulus checks, a lot of, a lot of people are saying that money hasn't been spent yet. Um, it's just sitting in liquid deposits that eventually may go into stocks or crypto, right. Or um, it's going to eventually go out and be spent. Okay. And with all that money still, that hasn't been spent yet, that is going to continue as when, when people go out and do spend that money, that's going to add or keep the inflation going. Um, so here's, The point, what do you do about this? So if you're at home and you're saying, you know, is inflation because there's no consensus. I mean, there's really no consensus on whether or not this inflation will turn to stagflation or this inflation is just transitory in another 12, 18 months. We'll all realize that and don't look now. But as far as is it causing the stock market to panic i I don't know we had reached new time highs again this week um so is you know is you know now so is what so certainly stagflation is a serious market risk if we go to that but if it's just transitory inflation maybe we don't you don't have to worry about that um but it doesn't really matter what i think or what you think you know, or I shouldn't say what, what you think, but it matters what you think. I'm saying it doesn't matter what I think or what your neighbor thinks or what the uh, experts think because you've got to make your own decision. And But as, if you're just sitting at home and saying, well, nobody knows, so I'm just going to cancel my cruise and I'm going to keep working until I know, it, well, maybe instead of just sitting at home and worrying about it, you could be working on a plan, be more active to say, well, if we do have higher inflation, what? how does that affect the longevity of your financial planning model? So if you're at home trying to build your own financial planning model, I'll tell you a little bit about how we build it for our clients is that you keep parameters in mind to make sure that you stay on the right path. And you have to make a lot of assumptions. Part of those assumptions are not only what inflation you're assuming for future years. It kind of dovetails with what rate of return are you assuming on your investments, right? They kind of go hand in hand. The idea being that are your investments staying ahead of the inflation? And obviously, the higher the inflation rate goes, you would say, well, that means you've got to take on more risk to stay ahead of that. Well... Yes and no. There is though a correlation that if inflation continues to go up, chances are interest rates will go up, meaning the Fed will act and raise interest rates. And that means your fixed side of the investment allocation would also go up. CD rates should go up, bonds could go up, you know that so there is some correlation there as well. But what I see too many mistakes, not mistakes, just lack of Really, getting real—you know—those parameters about keep your assumptions conservative. That's always a good thing, but also real, realistic. So, and they're not always the same thing. You could have a very conservative assumption; it's not realistic at all, or vice versa. But the idea is, as long as you are making conservative and realistic assumptions, your plan should just be should be fine. You know, because really, what the financial planning model does is it gives you a measuring stick. It's, it's just a way to say, based on the best assumptions and the economic conditions and what's happening to me today, and then I'm going to make assumptions about what's going to happen in the future, you, you're trying to get that longevity and say, am I in the ballpark? You know, Can I retire now? Or if you're already in retirement, how much of a lifestyle can I spend in retirement so I don't run out of money before life? And it, it, the idea of doing a financial planning model once and putting it into a sock drawer for 30 years, it doesn't work that way. It's, you know, and, and we always say one of our axioms at the estate planning team is, you know, all models are wrong. We get that. But you know what? Some are useful. So the problem I have with the DIY, and those are, that's for the do-it-yourself Internet, is that it, the models that are on there or the, the articles on there, it's very surface level. And I see too many times, like when we build a, a plan for our clients, we may be using a variety of inflation rates depending on the characteristic of the expense. Because not all your expenses go up at the same rate of inflation. They just don't. As a matter of fact, some expenses you have might not be going up at all. You say, well, Mark, what are those? Well, maybe it's your mortgage. I don't know if you're, more, if you're in a fixed mortgage. I don't know if that goes up every year with inflation. Um, there's lots of examples. It could be your life insurance premium. It, it, it could be, you know, so, something else where it's a fixed rate, uh, fixed expense. But granted, most expenses do go up with inflation, but not all at the same rate. So, just for illustration purposes, let's do a quick calculation uh, or the uh, way we run different scenarios. And I'm going to break down expenses into three categories. One I'm going to call daily living expenses, or sometimes we call that mandatory expenses. Now, you could make a case that any expense that you have has a discretionary element to it, discretionary element. Um, you could say, for example, if your heating bill is too high, well, just turn off your heat. Okay? I guess if you normally if your grocery bill is up too high, buy less groceries. So but but really we don't not nah, most people don't want to do that. you um, what if you're, what if you're you, get, you know a lot of Cleveland you know families got shocked by the new property tax valuations. It could be 14, 19 percent up. So you're saying, oh, my real estate taxes are going to go way up. Well, Mark, how can I cut my real estate taxes? Well, I guess you could sell your house and move into an apartment. I guess that would cut your real estate taxes. My point is, yes, everybody knows that there's always a discretionary element to the expenses. But let's not. Let's just assume that your daily living expenses are annual, ongoing, and then we're just going to slap some inflation rate to the you know to the total of those and just assume utilities, groceries, real estate taxes. There, as long as one of you is living. Uh, meaning you or your spouse, and they're just going to keep going, and we're just going to add inflation to it. The second one is health insurance. Now, this one we keep separate because one, if you're still working, it could be, you, you're going to have to go through those phases of health insurance premiums, right? You may be covered by an employer plan or a spouse's employer plan. Then you may be retired prior to Medicare, which is on you have to go out and get it on your own, or when you're on sixty five and you go on Medicare, you have to make assumptions of what that's going to cost. And, we you know, last week we talked a little about the, about the ABCs and don't forget Ds of Medicare. And we'll, we'll be touching on that, too, in, in future shows here in October and November. So health insurance, and you might want to assume a little bit higher rate of inflation on health insurance because that may be realistic. All right. Um, and then the third category, just for radio show purposes, we're going to call discretionary spending. This is the fun stuff. You know, this is uh, this is travel. This is hobbies. This is entertainment. It could be um, or more discretionary types of purchases that you don't do every year. But you have some control on when you do them, but you also have some control of how much, for example, automobile replacements. That's a good example, right? Every, you know, obviously automobile replacements is a mandatory living expense, but how much of an automobile you're buying uh, and how often you're, you're turning those over, you certainly have some discretion towards that. Um, home improvements. You know, the, 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 you know, you may say, the, yeah, the, the, you got to get those done, but you have some discretion on when you're gonna remodel the kitchen and how much you're gonna spend to remodel the kitchen. There's some discretion there, All right? So, um, and now, so let's say, so let's say currently, and so what I'm gonna do here is just give you an idea of how having a detailed plan model allows you to look out into the future and say, by the way, if I assumed, if I make today what my assumptions are for all those expense categories that we just mentioned, and I'm going to make some assumption about how much inflation I need to add on those for the next 30 years, you know, let's say you're 65 in retirement on Medicare, and now you're running a 30-year plan, taking you to 94, 95, that time frame. Is that long enough? I don't know. You have to ask yourself, this is your plan, not mine. Um, is 90 long enough? 95? Do I hear 100. That's how you know, don't ask your neighbor how long they're going to live. You have to kind of decide how long you want to, you know, protect your longevity, um, the risk of, you know, living too long. So back to so so you could say, you know, what's my current case scenario? And, and let's say, for example, today, you you know, we were in this low inflation. Remember, you know, in the, the core inflation hasn't been two percent in the last 20 years, you know, up until this Rona re- recovery year, right? So let's say you're using 2% inflation on daily living expenses. Let's say you're using 4% inflation on health insurance premiums, and let's say you're using 0% inflation on discretionary. And you could say, "Well, Mark, why is why would you use assume 0 on uh, inflation on discretionary?" Well, because the expense is you got it, discretionary. So for example, if you are planning a travel budget, and it was going to cost X amount per year. And then in the future, when you got to that year, let's say you were planning $10,000 for travel for this bucket list trip you were planning with you and your spouse. And by the time you got to that year, you were going to do it. You looked at because of inflation, the cost is no longer $10,000. It's $15,000. Well, guess what? You don't have to do it. I mean, literally, you could say, well, I'm not going to do that trip. I still got to find a trip that I can do within my 10000 budget. So you somewhat can control inflation on discretionary spending. Again, you can't do that with your real estate taxes. You know, that's the difference. So, so what I did, so I'm, I'm going to do this client case. So just this, in this client's case, um, so their daily living expenses right now were 45000 a year. Okay, Um, health insurance was running six thousand six hundred eighty four, and their discretionary spending, which included hobbies, travel, gifting, those types of things, was thirty thousand four hundred. So right now they had about eighty two thousand dollars in expenses. I haven't added in income taxes yet because that's a whole nother subject matter. That's I don't have time to do that on the radio show. So just looking at those three categories. So, but now you say, okay, that, but let's add, so we're, we're, you know, if you currently assume those inflation factors, 2% on daily living expenses, 4% on health insurance and 0% on discretionary over their lifetime, or in this case, the 30 years that they wanted me to run their plan, the total of all that, can you do that math in your head, by the way? Of course not. We need the robots who can do it instantaneously. The total budget for that 30 years on those current levels with the inflation is 2.8 million dollars. 2,841,843. Okay? But now this client want to know is say Mark so what happens though if inflation is higher. And we said okay, so right now we so we said let's let's up the inflation factor. So now we're going to make daily living expenses we're going to assume 3% inflation ongoing five percent inflation on health care and he they did say mark and add, let's add some inflation even though we know it's discretionary let's add some inflation for discretionary so we added two percent inflation ongoing on the discretionary all right now when we did that now what does that do to the totals so just you know going to the bottom line, the 30 year cumulative amount. So in, in plan A, they needed two point eight million. In plan B with the higher inflation, it's gonna be three million three hundred and ninety-five thousand. Okay. About five hundred and fifty three thousand more over the thirty years. All right. So now that's giving them, that's putting them in a decision-making mode, right? Um, But what happens if you think, Mark, what if we have this, you know, stagflation or hyperinflation? What if it gets even worse than that? Okay, this is your plan. Let's run a worst-case scenario. So let's go one step higher. So in plan C, we're going to assume 4% inflation ongoing on daily living expenses, 6% 6% inflation ongoing on health insurance premiums and 3% inflation ongoing on discretionary. All right? Now, the budget that the cumulative 30-year expense is 3.9 million. Okay. Um, now that's about 1.1 million higher than plan A. All right? Now that may, you say, is that the worst case scenario? Well, I guess you could get worse than that, but that's pretty bad. But at least now you maybe, you have enough numbers crunched for you so you can say, gee, I wonder if my financial model, I wonder if my nest egg can withstand an additional $1.1 million of expenses if this inflation is in transitory. And that may lead to a discussion you may have with your investment advisor. Meaning, by the way, based on how you have my accounts allocated today, what rate of return do you think I could uh, assume in the over this 30 years? And is that gonna be enough, right, to to make sure that I don't run out of money? Or if it is too much, then you know, okay, I have to make some changes. And then you're down those other pathways. But we have some clients who say, Mark, I don't, I think this inflation is going to be sticking around for a while, but I don't think it's going to be sticking around forever. Meaning that, yeah, I think it's transitory to a point just not as transitory as the Federal Reserve Chairman led us to believe in the beginning. So we could go, so you could create a plan D. And, you know, a plan D is, let's say, Mark, so I think we're going to have this current high inflation for the next five years. This is what this client wanted to do. What do you want to do? Okay, so he wanted to say, let's assume higher inflation for the next five years, meaning 5% inflation on daily living expenses, 6% inflation on health insurance premiums, and 3% inflation on discretionary. Okay, but then after that, So six years out, let's say we revert back, we get all this Rona recovery done, we get the supply chains working again, the Federal Reserve does the Goldilocks solution about you know, tapering and and maybe raising some interest rates, but we get back to their target now, but we don't think the target's going back to two. Let's say we get back to a target inflation of three. So after those five years of this high, higher inflation, let's build in a plan that we're back to 3% inflation on daily living expenses, 5% inflation on health insurance and 1% inflation, They add a low inflation uh, onto our discretionary. Okay. So now when we did that, now the 30-year cost plan D is coming in right between B and C as you assumed, but now it's about three and a half million dollars. So you know, so now we're about seven hundred and forty some thousand dollars ahead of plan A. But we're saying, yeah, maybe with investment changes, or maybe if we do have a if, a, if the growth side can get a little bit higher, that will get us to maybe we could still do that plan, and we don't have to, uh, you know, cancel our riverboat cruise. So, if you think this type of analysis, this type of number crunching leaves you in a better decision making mode, but you're not quite sure or you haven't been able to find an online calculator that can do a different sophistic- so, 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 a sophistication of running these different detailed financial models, come in and see us. So, again, you can call the estate planning team. The home phone number is 440. 440- Two three nine twenty ninety. That's four four zero two three nine two zero nine zero. Or you can visit us on our website, which is financialfoodforthought dot com. Just one string: financialfoodforthought dot com. And you can see some of the articles and calculators. You can also listen to podcasts. And again, this is the time of year too. We're working on a lot of year end planning. A lot of our clients right now are saying, "Should I be doing Roth conversions, or should I be?" Uh, Am I sure I got to get my required minimum done? And and do I need to make withholding elections and all those things? So very, very, you know, very important time of year, um, you know, to make sure that you're looking for every opportunity. And so today we're talking about, though, the risks of stagflation. And we say, you know, it's a three-legged stool. You know, it's the high unemployment, it's the high inflation, and it's a slowing economic growth. Well, we just talked about inflation and how what you can do to say do i need to be worried about inflation and run different models how about the unemployment well i think things are getting better in that category you know the weekly jobless games came in at you know surprise upside came in at two hundred ninety thousand, better than the forecasted of two hundred ninety-seven thousand, and better than the previous week so maybe americans are you know going back to work um the uh the yeah we'll we'll see we'll see if that continues well then that leaves the third leg which is economic growth right and the idea well what is gdp going to be next year and and is this going to be is this if, if, if this is not good if gdp slowing is that going to tip the, ta- uh, the scales that we lead into a stagflation type uh, era Well, this is why um, I don't know. I mean, right now, if you look at the Bloomberg survey of economic advisors, the consensus for GDP for next year is still 4%. That's a consensus. So that means a lot of people think it's going to be higher than that and so-called experts and some experts think it's lower than that. But that's still, I don't know if a 4% GDP is going to lead to stagflation. All right. Um, We also, you know, could look at the... You know the the the, one th- the earnings, right? You know, in other words, we're in earnings season for the third quarter, and so far so good. Um, you know, I think that the uh, I think that the average beat of earnings across the well, who report companies that reported so far is about thirteen percent. All right, um, if you just look at three companies. Uh, In different various of the sectors, you know, Procter and Gamble, they easily beat, you know, earnings uh, per share came at a 161. Well, just slightly beat expected 159. Remember, in the earnings game, pennies matter, right? Um, But revenue beat. okay. Um, And, you know, the what are they saying? They're saying we delivered solid results. uh, You know, it's their first quarter of the fiscal 2022 in a challenging cost and operating environment. Um, so they're saying, yeah, they've been able to raise prices to, and, and their, and their customers have been able to pay the higher prices. Um, and so that's still got strong momentum. We couldn't look at Netflix, right? Okay. Netflix, um, they they the, the, the street was looking for $2 and 56 cents earnings per share. It came in at $3 and 19 cents, beating that solidly, right? Revenue. Um, Came in right where it was expected, about seven point four eight billion. What did CEO Reed Hastings say? We're in uncharted territory. We have so much content coming in quarter four, like we never had. So we'll we'll have a feel our way. We'll have to feel our way through, and it rolls into a great next year. Also, okay. um, Let's go a different direction. How about Tesla? Okay, um, you know Elon Musk and group, right? Well, the street was looking for earnings per share of a dollar fifty nine came in at a dollar eighty six solid beat okay, and revenue came in at thirteen point seven six billion beating expectations of thirteen point six three billion okay um Let's see, what did they say in a shareholder release? A variety of challenges, including semiconductor shortages, congestion at ports, and rolling blackouts have been impacting our ability to keep factors running at full speed. Even with those issues, the company reiterated prior guidance that expects to achieve a 50% average annual growth in vehicle deliveries over a multi-year horizon. Um, so, you know, we, we could you know, say that that's doing pretty well. So if we have the earnings, a comfort earnings still doing good stuff, again, I think that leads to maybe GDP could reach its 4% projection next year. And that may keep us, this economy rolling or at least prevent us from falling stagflation. Another thing we look at this time of year is the Halloween spending barometer, right? Um, so this is another barometer that's often used to say how is the u.s consumer because right now the earnings game so far the earnings are saying the consumer is still pretty strong so how is that looking well a couple of things in compared to last year whatever so um, total spending projection this is you know the national retail federation is saying that it'll probably be you know for the first time maybe ever over 10 billion dollars okay now last year in the Rona shutdown it was about 8 billion um in 2017 it was 9 billion in 2018 it was 8.97 billion in 2019 it was 8.78 billion so it was all rough you know it was all staying around that 8 and 9 billion they think this year it's going to reach that 10 billion dollar level um, they say 65% of Americans plan to celebrate. 66% plan to hand out candy. That'll be about three billion of candy being handed out. 52% will decorate their houses and yards. That's about another 3.17 billion in that category. And about 46% will dress up in costume, and they'll spend about 3.32 billion on costumes, which, by the way, is up about 27% year over year. Um, the Candy USA Association says that 87% plan to purchase the same or more candy this year, and I think I'm in that category as well, including my personal consumption of the Halloween candy that drives my wife crazy when the bags disappear before the 31st. Um, average spending. How do you fall along these lines? So what does the average American spend on Halloween? Um, they say it's about one hundred and three bucks. OK, um, and, and and that's up about 10 percent year over year. Um, households with children, it's a little bit higher. It's about one hundred and fifty bucks. Um, and they say that that's really double what it was last year, you know, because none of the kiddies went out for Halloween last year, at least a lot. I mean, they did, but not to the normal level. So they're saying that's coming back. So you may have good, um, good strong consumer and that may also that that leg keep me keep of stagflation might not be in jeopardy um but what you know so re- inflation is probably the biggest risk right now and and i was giving i was reading from that paul tudor jones article and one of the comments he made in his article was he said the inflation threat spells doom for the traditional equity portfolio split 60 percent to equities and 40 percent bonds so now I've been talking about this for a long time. You know the the reported death of the sixty forty portfolio, and I keep telling people I just don't know if if that's not exaggerated. Um, so uh, you know I have a very good client who every quarter. Provides me with the Ohio Deferred Comp. That's you know the four fifty seven plan. Many of you listeners may be in that plan or have a spouse that's in that plan. Very popular plan in the, in this town. Um, and every quarter they they uh, report their investment results. In other words, the options inside that plan that you can choose from. They report the results. And so for fun, I use that plan to kind of keep a barometer on how the 60 40 portfolio has been holding up not only year to date um but you know rolling 12 months three years five years 10 years you know uh, you know how long because the 60 40 portfolio has been a very popular now Again, you, know, you understand, we don't do investments for our clients. So I'm not talking about what you invest your 60% in or what you invest your 40% in. And you know, past performance does not necessarily predict future results. And all investing involves some level of risk, including loss of principle. And there's no guarantee that any investment strategy will be successful. So everybody's got the disclaimer. And everybody's heard that a million times. I'm just saying, is 60-40 dead? Because there's so many articles saying it's dead and so what i'm going to do is look at a couple different levels so in that ohio deferred comp 457 plan you could you have lots of options so one i'm going to assume that you go strictly with the vanguard index so you you know one of the you know so on your 60% growth side you put it into the vanguard institutional index that's um, you know ticker symbol uh, V I I I X all right and then for the 40% you're going to choose the option, the Vanguard uh, Total Bond Market Index. All right. That's uh, ticker VBMPX. And they're showing, so what did that do? If This is from the deferred comps, quarterly results. So how did that do year-to-date? Because you said, all well, the bonds are doing terrible year-to-date. Well, the bonds, year, and year-to-date through September, I should say, quarterly through September. All right. Um, yeah, well, that, that Vanguard Total Bond is slightly negative, 1.57%. But the but the institutional index, the stock fund, is up fifteen point nine percent. So if you did your sixty forty math, you're year to date through September up eight point nine percent. Well, what are you assuming your sixty forty? I mean, most most people today tell me, Mark, I assume five percent. So if your if your plan is built on five percent in the sixty forty portfolio, you're still up year to date eight point nine. Okay, um, how about a rolling one year from September to September? Okay, under that you'd be up 18.36% that on a rolling 12 months. Well, that's certainly beating my 5% that I've got in my plan. 60-40 seems okay there, but what if we go back? What if we go back three years rolling? Okay, now that portfolio would be up 11.76% annualized. Hmm, still double digit, okay? How about you know if we go five years, okay? Um, a little bit slightly less, 11.31, hmm, okay? How about if we go 10 years, Okay, um, now that 6040 would be up 11.17 annualized, still doubling if you were using a 5%. All right, now, but what if you didn't go with the Vanguard? What if you went into some of the more uh, specific? So there's one of the options in the Ohio Deferred Comp 457 is the Dodge and Cox Stock Fund, you know, ticker symbol DODGX. Very popular. And let's say another very popular fixed strategy for the folks in the Ohio Deferred Comp 457 plan is the stable value fund, which is really a a multi-manager type, you know, where they invest in various fixed options. Um, Okay. So how is that doing year to date through September? Well, the Dodge and Cock funds is up twenty four point four five percent. Hmm, that's not bad. And the stable value is doing about one point three four, positive even. All right. So on your sixty forty, you'd be up through September fifteen point two one. How about a rolling one year? You'd be up thirty one percent. How about three years? You'd you, okay. This is now it's down a little bit. So now under a three year rolling, that strategy. Dodge and Cox and stable value is only up 8.66. Still beating your 5% if that's what you're using in your plan. Okay, how about a five-year? Back up the digital di- double digits, 10%. And how about 10 years? Still at 10.61%. All right? Um, so you could say, yeah, is the 60-40 really dead? I don't know. By the way, what happens if you say, oh, Mark, that's too risky for me. I only plan on being 50-50. So how would the 50-50 strategies be being, being in both those scenarios? So now I went back and said, okay, under the Vanguard option, the 50-50, rolling one year, 15.45%. Three-year, 10.71%. Five-year, 5.92%. Ten-year, 9.81%. Hmm. What if you say, well, Mark, what if I ratcheted down my growth because I'm really scared about the market to 40 60 equity, 60%. Okay, now that Vanguard, what it's done in the 457 plan. One year rolling, 15.54. Ten year rolling, 8.45. Still beating the five. I don't know if sixty forty is dead. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.